Hi, I'm Megan Francis. And I'm Dave Kroc. And this is the LifeWork Podcast. In this show, we'll explore what it really takes to build a business while designing a life that matters. This week on LifeWork, we've been discussing pivots and transitions. And today we're talking with Barbara Jones, who spent 20 years as a marketing executive in the music industry, helping to build tribes of loyal fans around the artists they loved. In the mid-2000s, Barbara took the skills, talents, and experiences she developed over the years and used them to start One-to-One Network, an influencer marketing company that helps brands build tribes of loyal fans via bloggers, content creators, and social media personalities. Barbara's story is a great example of what happens when you trust your intuition, see changes on the horizon before others do, and are willing to innovate. It's also a testament to the power of asking for help and sometimes faking it till you make it. Let's get to the interview. Hey, Barbara, thanks for coming on the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. So you've got a great story with a lot of pivots, and that's kind of what we're focusing on this week at LifeWork. Um, And I kind of want to back way up to when you were in the music industry and then come forward to now being in social media and the social media industry. I think there are some parallels, which I'm sure you'll get into. Um, But can you just kind of tell that story for listeners first so they know some context? Sure. So I sort of kicked off my career after college working for record companies. um, And I did that for about 18 years. And I did everything from sales and marketing and distribution and a variety of things. But ultimately, I was the head of marketing for Columbia Records in New York City. And I had gotten to a place where um, I loved I loved working with artists and I love working with creative talent. And I got to a place where I was doing a lot more with like HR and budgets and things Mm. like that. And I sort of was losing interest. Um, And I was looking for something different to try. And so I sort of took a leap of faith and decided, you know, I, I, I build fan teams for bands could I not do a similar thing and help build fan teams for brands? And um, at that point, so this was in uh, 2007, and so kind of conceptualized putting together this word-of-mouth marketing company, which turned into one-to-one network in 2008. And that was a a great time to kind of be getting on the scene as far as social media and bloggers and all that kind of thing went. Yeah. Although it was the worst time to become an entrepreneur in the worst economic. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Maybe you can't have it all right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, But I think, yes, I think I was in 2007, I was, I started to kind of do some research and I was really intrigued by, I had seen the blog, her conference, I hadn't gone, but I had just been reading about it and I had been sort of, you know, noticing about Twitter and Facebook and things like that, that were kind of coming up. And I was really interested because I always had to kind of stay on the cutting edge of promotion and marketing in the music side. And, um, and I think that it was just, um, it was just a really I have a, a gut instinct about it. Mm-hmm. Um, my actual, the parent company is actually called Intuition Marketing, which is really about like trust your gut and going going with what you sort of feel. And um, and so we just said, you know, I'm gonna, I, I kind of, I'm that kind of person in general. So um, I was like, all right, let's just try this. And um, I gave myself like a year and a half mentally to say like, okay, at the end of the year and a half, we're not any further. I'll go back to the record business. It's totally fine. I could do that, you know. So 
I felt like I had a little safety net in a way, um, but I wanted to give it a try. I definitely want to talk about that safety net in a bit um, because I think that's something that um, anytime there's a big pivot like that, especially from one industry to another, it's, it, it is kind of that. How do you do that without losing all the ground you've actually made. But I do want to back up really quick though at first and talk about you you mentioned intuition. I'm really glad you did because I kept thinking about the parallels between music and social or you know brands, fan teams for brands versus fan teams for uh, music. And mm-hmm. you must as someone in the music industry and now someone in social there must be a big component is like being able to see the next big thing and also knowing what what the next big thing is just not going to take up. Like what's going to take off and what's not, you know? Sure. Sure. Well, I mean, I think, you know, in, in a way, you know, the music industry was very much for people like young people on the, on the cusp of what was happening to really kind of get in there and know what, how to deal with all these different sort of types of music and communities and stuff like that. But when we transitioned to social, it was actually quite similar because of all of what, what, what the internet and what social has done to, from a marketing standpoint, to be able to much better identify certain communities because they're they're finding each other. Yeah. So there were some parallels there, um, and I think that in general it was sort of just what is exciting for me was I had been in one industry for a really long time and I wasn't learning. And when I shifted mm-hmm. into this new space, it was like. I felt like I was almost reborn because I was learning again and I was like, you know, I was basically reading and watching videos and like self-teaching in a way. But it was like an excited, uh, excited, exciting period because it was like I, you know, I just had just like I was sort of flexing the the brain muscle again. Yeah, that was that was so great. And it, it still is because every you know in the music business every day was different i had a different band i had to work with i had a different artist this and that every day was different and that was exciting i, I, don't, I don't have i'm not one of those per- people that could come to work every day and do the same thing every day i think i would just kill myself but i think like really what it is is that i i went um into this world and every day was different not only was there new platforms the things that i had to learn and still need to learn mm. um but you know, every client was different. Every problem or solution or, or a goal was different for every project. So we'd still have to be flexing the, the creativity muscle and the learning and all of that. And I think that's what keeps it fresh for me. Yeah. And I'm going to guess most people listening um, are of that same mindset. I mean, I think that's what, you know, that's what Dave and I keeps us kind of plugging along in our businesses is um, you get to a point where you know enough that it just gets a little, a little stale, a little too comfortable, and then mm-hmm. it stops being as fun. Um, yeah. So let's let's back up again because I want to kind of get a, uh, an idea of how your day to day job now looks as a, as compared to your day to day job when you were in, in the music industry. And I know you've done other things in between as well. We can get into those as well. Um, and how does because what it sounds like you're saying is your personality has carried through your basic innate talents have carried through, but the skills are different and the knowledge mm-hmm. is different. So how do those two things relate and how are they different? Basically how my job is what I'm sorry. Can we back up and just, can you ask? Sure. Me I will ask you that question, question all over again. Yep. Okay. Okay. 
So what it sounds like you're saying is that there are personality traits and maybe some innate talents that carry through from one thing to the thing that you pivot into, but you've had to learn new skills and um, there are new platforms to deal with a new information. It's a different industry, but there are definitely some parallels. So in your new, what you do now daily, as opposed to what you did daily when you were marketing executive um, in the music industry, how are those things similar and how are they different? Well, I think they're similar because um, they're moving so fast and you Mm. had to constantly be sort of on the forefront of knowing what was next, what was happening, how to work with not only creative talent, um, but how to, to, you know, do marketing basically Mm. in in a very fast paced environment. So that's some of the similarities. Um, You know, the differences are obviously, you know, when you have a job, you have a paycheck, you have all of those, like, (laughs) you know, that all of that sort of security part of it is different than being an entrepreneur. And, and, you know, um, I've always had staff and team and all of that when I was um, in the music side. But now, you know, I'm responsible for those people. So, you know, there's that certain part of, you know, you know, you're, you're all of a sudden, it's not only about you. Yes. <laughs> you know, you, you have all these other people that are um, that you're responsible for as well. So um, that's a different that's a different unique thing that I you know, that is unique to being an entrepreneur. Um, and um, but from a from a there's so many similarities that if that's why I think it works really, really well for me. Yeah. And I think part of my my job in marketing at the, on the record side is I had to coordinate with every single department. I always had this like little mental checklist, radio, video, press, retail, touring, advertising, packaging online, like, you know, and I had to go through and I had to deal with all of those departments and all of artist managers and all that kind of stuff. So when you're dealing with as an entrepreneur and running a business, right, you have to deal with every aspect of your business and you're multitasking a ton and you're outsourcing where you can and this and that. But I think there's so many similarities. I think that prepared me um really really well for what i'm doing now and to be honest probably waiting tables prepared me the most <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for multitasking i still i still think if you're good at waiting tables you'd be a good yeah. entrepreneur <laughs> that's very wise well and, and let's talk about that because it seems like you moved into a position where you were able to draw on like you said, the things that you learned multitasking and and the things that you were good at in music, you can also be good at in social. Um, Did you know that going in? Did you create the job you wanted, you know, did the create the business you wanted for yourself to kind of step into? Or was some of it just a happy surprise? You know, I think, I think that I knew that I could build a network of people that would want to share things. It, mm. You know what I mean? I felt yeah. like part of part, it started out as a women's network. And I think like innately, it felt like this is just, this just feels right. You know, it was sort of like the version of a street team. You know, you find people who care about certain things and they want to share. And now they have this great ability to share. So it felt, it felt like very innate. Like I knew where this was going to go. And then, you know, we added in the blogging side of things and added in, um, you know, just building those relationships. And then it just kind of, it just really honestly was so organic. I I couldn't tell you eight years ago that this is exactly where I would be right now. Like, I think because it's been, the fun part has been evolving as the space has been evolving. Um, And, um, you know, one other thing I wanted to mention is that I took a big risk completely changing industries because to be honest, 
I knew no brand or agency people. I knew no bloggers or influencers other than I had music industry. I had entertainment contacts. Yeah. So um, to be honest, part of the reason or part of the behind the scenes of why the Blistem Conference was created um, was to help build relationships for and an awareness for one-to-one network on both sides of that equation. Wow, okay. It it was a great way to bring bloggers in because they were wanting to speak at the conference and attend. And and the brands wanted to be there because they wanted to sponsor or they wanted to be involved in meetings. So it was a great opportunity to kind of help build built the business. That is a big, that is a big jump to go from not knowing anybody to mm-hmm. putting together a conference. And that was a big conference. Um, yeah, yeah, well, it was, I, I kind of joke. Um, <laughs> I went to blogger 08 in yeah. San Francisco and I knew no one. I mean, yeah. literally I went by myself. I knew no one by blogger 09. I was throwing a huge party <laughs> in Chicago yeah, a blogger that was incredibly well attended by the blog, you know, the, 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 the blogging community. And it was just like, it was the, it was sort of like what a difference a year can make. Yes. Um, and you know, building, and if you really just kind of like throw yourself into it fully yeah. and, you know, just keep, just keep, you know, just keep swimming. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, I think, you know, it, it's, it's really, it's really been pretty, pretty awesome. But I think a lot of it has to, has to be just about staying focused, um, and really building true relationships. Yeah. Well, and we talked about that in a, in a recent episode about, you know, relationship building, doing it right and doing it wrong. And (laughs) I think it can still be a little, um, it can still be a little intimidating to think about, especially for someone who's maybe, and I'm assuming you're an extrovert, are you an extrovert? Barbara? Yeah, I would, yeah. I would consider yeah. Um, I, mean, I think it could be a little intimidating for someone to think, you know, to build this to where I need to get it. I need to make a lot of contacts or I need to, everyone needs to know me. Um, but maybe that's not really the way it, I don't think everyone needs to know you. The right people need to know you and they need to know you for the right things. Well, Is and also I, I think, you know, I have been very consistent. I think I have had a consistent presence in the community for a long period of time. Yeah. And, um, and I feel like, you know, some of my competitors have kind of come and gone yeah. in the space. And, and, um, I feel like, um, I feel like when it comes down to when I need, when I need to contact people for campaigns or otherwise or insights or whatever, um, I, I feel like I am a valued or sort of trusted source in the community. Um, and I think that there's something to be said about that, you know, having a presence and being consistent, um, in whatever, whatever that community is, you know, whatever your business is, Mm. um, it's just not about staying in, staying inside and being, you know, in your, in your, basement right you know um, <laughs> yes. you really like I think people especially on the social side think that just everything can be done online when the physical sort of relationship building side of things is honestly super important yeah let's talk about the blistem conference really quick so that sure. started technically in 2009 or was it 2009? 2008. Um, 2008. Um, Allie Worthington and I kind of, it kind of was a funny story, to be honest. Um, Blog Her was going to be doing six six city events okay. um, in in the States in 2008. And one of those states, one of those cities was Nashville. And I had a client, um, Epson printers, I had a client and, um, I had reached out to Allie Worthington cause she has a site called blissfully domestic and she was running, um, 
she was running that site and she was based in Nashville. And I said, Hey, do you want to throw a party? You know, after this event and we can invite some people and it'd be fun. And she was like, sure. So then blogger ended up canceling the Nashville event. Oh, and, and she said, I said, well, okay, what do you, what do you want to do? And she's like, well, all my friends were speaking anyways. Why don't we just do it ourselves? Right. <laughs> we're like, yeah. Okay, and people already it. are coming or wanted to come. And yeah, exactly. there was already yeah. interest. And this is so early on. Right? right. So it's like, yeah, sure. Let's just, let's just like do a little thing. Well, so we do it and there's like 75 people there and it was like in a, like a little bar in a hotel, you know, at mm-hmm. a boutique hotel. And, uh, at the end of the day, Allie says, and we're going to be doing this again in February. <laughs> and I said, we are? You didn't know that, <laughs> did you? <laughs> And um, so that's kind of where it where it began. And then by by December, when we put the tickets up on sale, they were sold out in like a week. Yeah. And Blistem really was was sort of born. And that's like the same year that Mom 2.0, yeah. which one, 2009. So yeah. that's the same year mm-hmm. Mom 2.0 had started. I think Type A was started around that time. So it was just a very fertile, um, fertile ground for um bloggers wanting to connect and learn yes and um and that's how it kind of started and you know you know we look at blog her as sort of like the founding mother of the space but then yeah. all you know it's a beautiful thing when all these other little thing you know little little uh, events started popping up and then we did it until we did it until so it started in 2008 so we did it until 2013 in the mm. u.s yeah. and it continued for two years uh, in toronto as well and um but we 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 had made a business decision in 2013 um that we were going to no longer do the conference yeah now so yeah go ahead. well i was going to say it sounds like and i think when people get into these you know something like planning an event like that it kind of sounds like you went in with maybe a different idea in mind than I would have thought, which is make money. But it could have almost been a loss leader in a way because you were kind of going in with this other purpose in it mind. It absolutely was a means to an end at the beginning, right? right? The beginning was this is a great way to build relationships on on all sides in this area. And a great way to get um a great way to, to get some publicity for one to one network. Because yeah. no one knew who we were. Right. Right. So we were always a sponsor, obviously. We would always, you know, we were obviously very involved. So, um, and I had done, like, I had produced all of these events, like the Warner Brothers Records Company meetings right. with, in the, in the big, we always had these big company meetings. So everything was very grandiose. And there was always like entertainment and this and that. So the production side of things was easy for me. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, let's just like make this fun. And we would bring in entertainment mm-hmm. and we would do things a little bit different than the rest. Yeah, I would say Blistem and I went I think 3 years. It was always quite a show. It was <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like and, and I mean that in a good way. It was always you could tell the entertainment um value was really there and the the production value was really there. So and, and thank you. And it, and it was really honestly it was the early days in the space too. Yeah. So um we you know, we didn't make money on like the first two, mm-hmm. but it, it didn't really matter cuz there was a business reason that we did it, right? Yeah. Um and then it became profitable, except for like the last one we did. I think we had a thousand attendees. We had fifty corporate sponsors. There were seven figures in sponsorships. It was, you know, on paper, successful, mm-hmm. right? On paper, it looked great. The problem was is that we're a very lean team, and 
when you're doing events and you're signing that agreement a year in advance right. before you sold ticket one, Mm-hmm. That you'll that you'll spend a quarter of a million dollars on food and beverage at that hotel. And yes, you're like, okay, yeah. this is a little bit risky before you've sold any sponsorships right. or tickets. And it's more than anything, more than more than that risk, more than anything. It was about the resource suck that it was mm. on our staff, and um, and how that by shifting focus to the event. In the first quarter, would end of the end, it would be the end of the fourth quarter and the first quarter of the new year, it severely affected our pipeline for our main line of business, mm. right? Which yeah. was our influencer network and our agency. So we decided, and because it was so tied to Allie, myself, and Paula as far as who we were, people said, why didn't you just sell it? You could have sold it, you know? And we felt strongly that if we sold it to somebody and they screwed it up, it's too closely aligned with our personal brand right. and our business brand that it could reflect poorly on us. And the reason that we licensed the Canadian conference out um, was because it was to people who were part of the community who we knew would do a great job with it. Mm, mm-hmm. So that was a business decision. And, you know, do we miss it? Yes. Do we miss that extra revenue and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. But we had to make a business decision. Yeah. Well, and then I think sometimes there's a lot of, um, you know, there's sort of like the business that is running along and doing the things it needs to do. And then there's that sort of like that shiny, bright part of your business where people notice it and pay attention to it. Maybe get a lot of accolades for it and things like that. And that can be really hard to give up even when it doesn't fit the rest. And I feel like maybe that was partially like what Blistem might, it was this thing. It was like, and people loved it and were in love with it. And then it kind of, and it went away. And it's just kind of funny, like for you to make that as a business decision, I'm sure a lot of people would have been like, well, wait, I mean, it seemed to be doing well and everyone loved it, but that's not enough. Right. You know? Well, it's not, it's not because also what was sort of happening in that same time period is we started to see a shift in the sponsorship dollars Mm. too. Okay. We okay. started to see that sponsor that might have spent fifty thousand dollars last last year or two years ago. Now there's a, they're at thirty thousand, and the thirty thousands are down to fifteen. And then you're like, okay, is this shiny new penny for the brands? Yeah, going away, and are we yes. not seeing it? So we felt that it's and, and obviously there's many conferences that happen and there's still money yeah. out there and all that kind of stuff. But our gut was telling us the time was now. Yeah. And, um, luckily because we, you know, Allie, we were business partners. Luckily we came to the decision at the same time. Mm, that's that, nice. that's a tricky part in business when you have partners that don't see eye to eye on something like that. And that, that's when it gets potentially ugly. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have, I mean, let's pretend that had not happened. Um, You didn't agree. (laughs) Do you have advice for someone being in that position who, how to work that out or make it amenable for both parties or multiple parties? Yeah. I mean, I think there's always, there's always opportunities for one partner to buy the other partner out. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there, there are different, definite ways to get, or to go and try to find a buyer together. Um, You know, there, there are ways to, to get around that, but um, if someone, you know, and it depends on, you know, what shares everybody owns and all of that, as far as those kinds of decisions go. But 
you know, I think we, we were lucky that we all kind of felt that the time, the time yeah. was right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so much of what you're doing now and what you were doing in music is dependent on timing. And it feels like even, you know, you started one to one, you said in 2007? Seven, yeah, eight? we kind of did the research in 2007 okay. and it officially opened like January 2008. So between 2008 and now, eight years later, I mean, the changes are astounding in the social space. So you've had you had a big pivot and then you've had lots of little pivots along the mm-hmm. way just to stay relevant. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember having a conversation with you a couple of years ago where we were talking about kind of, you know, not that blogging was old hat, but just that brands were getting... they were looking around for new stuff, you know, like Instagram stars and YouTube stars and, and what's the next thing going to be. And like, just always kind of having your eye on that horizon. Um, yeah. Well, of course it's podcasts. You know that, right? I do know that now. (laughs) We are the shiny new penny, Dave. Oh boy. (laughs) That's not what I wanted to hear. (laughs) It only took eight years to get people to wake up. I I Um, know. Well, the technology had to be there. But exactly. But I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think exactly. I think, we have to constantly be, um, we are a service-based business. So we have to be, con- and, and, we're, and we're doing social. So we're expected to know how to work with new platforms and how, yeah. to, how to create opportunities using those platforms and stuff. So we're constantly having to pivot. You know, if, yeah. we, if we only did blogger campaigns, you know, that's not even, you know, that's a big part of our business, but, but that's our social amplification and e-commerce yeah. reviews and all these other things that we do, um, are all, you know, you know, just as big. Right. So those are, you know, we, but we've had to like ebb and flow based on what, what, where we think the tide is shifting and where we think, honestly, um, there's going to be revenue opportunities. How do you make it so that people that you work with, whether it's brands or, or social influencers, um, associate you with new things that they maybe didn't associate you with before because those things hadn't yet emerged or weren't a big part of your business? Well, you know, I think that, and we might not be, we might need to improve in this area, but I, you know, at first, I think you need to be known for something so Mm -hmm. people can think of you for something specific. Like, you know, who's good at blah, 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 right. you know, you should contact them, you know, you know, who's good at this. I think there's something to be said, um, for being, for having a specialty area and being known for a specialty area so that you're not thought of as just too general, general market or too mm. general to be considered, you know? Yeah. Um, and, um, so we're trying to further define to our clients, you know, uh, we want to put, put the words in their mouth, of how they can describe us if they're, if they're recommending to their client or to their boss or whatever. And so we're trying to, um, trying to kind of almost put out what we want them to say about what we specialize in. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So, so break that down for me because I'm thinking, okay, social media, you know, social influencer marketing. Um, a lot of people could call themselves that, and that could mean many different things. So when you say you want your clients to associate you with a certain thing or a certain specialty, does that literally mean the platform is a specialty or the method? It could be. It okay. could be. It depends. Like, you know, some people will say like, we're specialists in Instagram. You know, yes. we are specialists in Snapchat. We, yeah. you know, some people are known for specialists in certain platforms mm-hmm. and other people are known for like, for us, we really specialize in beauty and lifestyle, okay. food and beverage and 
parenting and home. We do some health and fitness as well. But for the most part, when we started, we were very much like women and moms and parenting. That was like mainly what we did. And we've evolved to um, realize that we're actually not doing as much parenting stuff as we used to do, but we're doing a lot more beauty and food and beverage. Mm, And so we want people to know that we kind of specialize in those areas. And and that's kind of across platforms. Yeah. Well, because the verticals will be there forever, but Snapchat might not take off to the extent that everyone thinks seems to think right now it's going to. All of a sudden, I feel like there's a gold rush for Snapchat, you know, which well, I... It's, it's it's really hard. It's, it's people are really, I mean, honestly, I was just in some meetings this week with different agencies and they, they don't know what they don't know what how to how to work with it. They're not even really sure how to deal with Facebook Live or yeah. podcasts or whatever. So I think that it's just part of what we try to do as an agency is try to um, help help put the ideas in their heads so that they can yeah you know sell it in. So then they're like, oh, we had this idea. Now we need yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah that makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to talk a little bit and we touched on this early on, but like what needs to be in place before you can make a pivot? <clears throat> and you mentioned the fallback, the ability to go back to the music industry. And at that, by that point, mm-hmm. you'd been in for like, what, 20, did you say 20 years? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like you were, you would have been a pretty easy transition for you to go back. Um, someone right. with just a couple of years maybe wouldn't be in that same position. Um, but sure. also the team, like how did you build a team from scratch and, you know, the, the money piece and all that? I mean, you don't have to get into like too much detail about your personal finances, but you know, how, how important were those things? Having the people already lined up, having a financial cushion or something to some capital for the business when you were making that pivot? Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I was really lucky. I, I, there was a one woman named Amber Medwell who is our sort of SVP marketing and operations. Mm She came we both worked at Columbia Records together, and she came with me right from the beginning because she believed in this new concept and, um, you know, agreed to to work for not as much money as she was making before yeah. to start this off. And um, I met Paula, my business partner, about a year. Well, actually, I'd met her before I started the company, but um, she became a partner about a year and a half into it. Um, and there was some some capital investment and some sweat equity and all of that. And I was basically just funding funding it myself, um, in the beginning. And, um, I was lucky enough to also get a client or two early on, um, from some, from entertainment and, um, and some through, a, through, you know, one of my connections. And so we actually, you know, we had some client dollars in the mix. So it really kind of it helped, um, kick things off. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, then we did the conference and it, again, I was always sort of like, listen, I'm going to try this. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will get like, will use their own savings or they'll get some friends and family um, money to help them. And this, you know, I I always had a, had a gut instinct that like, you know, this was, this was where it was going. But again, I I always, I guess I felt I had nothing to lose because I could go back and get another job and not everybody might have that situation. Maybe some people are escaping from another job to, to follow their passion. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a scary thing. It definitely is. Especially when you, if you have a family and you're the breadwinner and all of those things, it's, it's daunting. But I think if you have confidence in yourself that, Hey, if this doesn't work, you can totally do something else. And they kind of just say, okay, you know, I have to try. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think there's also some confidence in, um, and Dave and I have touched on this a lot, I feel like recently, the, having the confidence to look like you know what you're doing maybe more than 
you actually know what you're doing. And, you know, you were going in. (laughs) Fake it till you make it is like my motto. Yeah. Amen, sister. (laughs) So just going in and and talking to people and and having the guts really to sell yourself on, I'm not going to say what's a half-baked idea, but what's definitely not yet a fully fleshed out uh, concept because it's still emerging, <laughs> right? It's still emerging. I mean, not now, but the great when you started, thing is, you just have to know a little bit more than they do. Right. Exactly. <laughs> because exactly. I'm smart enough. I said, it's always like, we can always figure it out. Like right. we're smart people. We're good marketers. You know what I mean? If yes. they want to try something new, we're going to figure it out. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's like, I always say like, just say yes and we'll, and, and then figure it out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, I want to just touch on when, how you knew, and, and you talked a little bit about, um, you know, when you were in music and you were getting bored and maybe that was really what it, you know, you were getting bored or you weren't getting the satisfaction out of it that you had been, but how did you know the time was right to do that? I don't know how long that feeling persisted well, before I'll you decided. You, I'll tell you, it, it kind of came to light because so I, I had a, I had a one-year-old and a four-year-old and, um, I would be in town and not see them for like three days in a row because I had to be up on the train in the morning, work all day, go to go to a dinner, go to a show, take the 1 a.m. car service back to the house and be back on the 826 the next morning. And I wasn't seeing my family. I wasn't seeing my kids. I wasn't, you know what I mean? And I was just like, this is not, this is not working for me right now. So I was like, okay. And the music, the music business as far as the record company side of things it was like kind of imploding a little bit. A little bit. Oh, and, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I was doing, you know, I was doing budgets and HR things and stuff. I wasn't working with artists anymore and I really missed that. So yeah. it just felt like the right time. Yeah. Do you think at some point, and I know, you know, it's funny because every time a few years ago, people were talking about the blogger bubble and then there's always something to replace it. It's like there's a bubble and it kind of bursts a little bit and then right from under it, <laughs> there comes mm-hmm. out something else. But I'm wondering if you see a, a day on the horizon where, you know, maybe you'll want to transition away from social. Maybe there's something else and I, or, or maybe social will just go on forever in different, in different incarnations. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, listen, I would, I, I would love to, I'm always, I'm one of those people that has like a bad URL buying problem yeah, and a I bad idea, entrepreneurial yeah. idea problem. So there are like, 12 other things I would love to try. And I'm like, sort of my goal would be to get my company going to a place where it can kind of run itself so I can go try something new, you know, some, one of the other ideas and they might be peripherally associated or not, but you know, my problem sometimes is focus because I am always coming up with, you know what, you know what we could do, or I have an idea, like, and they're all like, I would have to say fairly sound ideas. It's just that there's no time to do them. Yeah. Well, and that's why you need that good team around you, right? To kind of rein you back in and, and say, Hey, (laughs) that's not what we're focused on right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me, I I get very enthusiastic. Yeah, no, I I get that. I get that. Um, Tell me a little bit, because I just kind of want to get this idea of what your day-to-day looks like, and I'm sure there's no typical day, but what is it, you know, you're doing, um, as opposed to the, the, the tasks, uh, your team is taking on at one time. Sure, sure. Um, okay. So a typical day for me, um, well, I get up at about five in the morning, every morning and I go, I go work out. So that's you. the only possible time I can get that done. Cause I would never do it later. So I try to like, get some form of exercise in the morning. 
Um, and, and basically for the, for the day, um, we have certain set, um, meetings that we have, um, in the mornings on a couple of days in the week, like a, a full team meeting, um, on the Monday mornings and then a business development meeting on Tuesdays. And, you know, we have a technology meeting. We have like, we have a whole bunch of things. We try not to over meeting ourselves, yeah, but we have a couple right. of set things cause it's easy to let things slip away. And, um, and then we're, we're typically sort of assessing the projects that are happening, and then we're assessing um, the proposals that are out and uh, the, the RFPs that might have come in and, the, and, you know, basically kind of like the events we might be attending. And so every day is a little bit different with some sort, but there is some structure. Yeah. Yeah. And do you use any, uh, is your team local or do you do a lot of this remotely? Yeah, we have we have an office in Brooklyn. We have an okay. office in Stanford, and then we have someone in Nashville. And okay. then you know, so we're kind of a little bit all over the place. Yeah. We're very much um, we we communicate very much through Skype. Okay, I was going to um, ask about what as resources far as you use. Are sort of a you know um, data just like you know quick discussions and things yeah. like that. A lot of it is through Skype. We're very we have Basecamp. We use um, Google Docs a lot. Mm. Um, and so I'd have to say like in, in the scheme of things, those are our, our, our major sort of modes of communication. Okay. All right. Well, is there anything, um, that you want to share before we wrap up any pieces of advice, um, that you would give someone who's maybe looking at taking a pivot or making a pivot or maybe starting their own business? Yeah. I mean, I think when it, when it comes to pivot, I mean, I think with all of these things, there's, there's. A, a lot that I have done on gut and intuition. Yeah. And, but on the other hand, it's all with, you know, with a pragmatist view, you know, you really do have to look at the plan. You don't have to have a perfect business plan. You don't have to have, but you do have to crunch the numbers. You do have to figure out what's realistic. You do have to sort of assess the landscape and do some research. So, mm. um, you know, I'm all for, you know, kind of, you know, being positive and just going for it. Um, but I think that, that, you know, you, you still just need to have a, have, be smart about it too. Um, and also you have to know, like, when do you pull the plug? You yeah. know, you have to give yourself, you have to kind of check back in for yourself. There's a guy, um, there's a guy who's one of our um, advisors and he, he says that he always has his um, employees and himself. They all say, what do you want for yourself? Understanding, what, who, what the people who work for you want for themselves out of this business or out of this industry. So you can understand how to, how they want to either be working or be promoted. Mm. And you have to ask yourself or you and your partner, what do you want for yourself? Are you guys aligned on your, um, on your thought process? Do you, you know, does one want an exit? Does one not, you know, like, yeah. you know, so it's, it's constantly asking, what do you want for yourself? What makes this good for you? Cause what happens is so many times we just get on the, the hamster wheel yeah. and we're just, we're just doing the work without stopping to think like, am I enjoying this? Is this what I thought it would be? Do I need to pivot? Do yeah. I need a change? You know? Um, and sometimes it's, it's hard to, to, to stop for a second and ask yourself that. So maybe even building in time to do that, to reflect on that regularly. So you don't get caught up in all the urgent stuff. You, you have to have, you know, we, we do some offsite meetings. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you really do have to take your, take your head out of the day to day, business and start to have those bigger picture discussions with your key team members and your partners or whoever, just, just to let yourself think bigger, um, think farther in advance, um, than, than being on the day to day. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you so much, Barbara. It's been great having you on the show. Um, and best of luck. 
Great. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for listening to the Life Work Podcast. Build your business and design your life with us every day, Monday through Friday. And find us at lifeworkpodcast.com.